while everyone else, um, if you have a Bible with you, uh, we are going to be in Mark, and uh, let's, uh, let's dive in. Uh, but before we do that, we're going to start with a word of prayer, um, that the Spirit would be with us today, that this would be uh, kind of a, a time where we're uh, in His presence, uh, and He fills us. Uh, let's pray. Heavenly Father, I pray that you be with uh, pray that you be with me as I share the word today. Help me to be uh, faithful. Uh, help me to to um, just over and over again point to Jesus and and help me to be led by your Spirit, not by by what I think is a clever thing or my my uh, uh, my sense of what is um, what is you know going to make me look clever or or awesome, or whatever, like, I pray that you would just help me to step away, like, just, just less of me, Lord, that, that there can be more of you in this, in this place, and during this time of hearing your word, um, and I pray, Lord, as the folks who are here, like, as they hear your word, as they hear, uh, the gospel, um, that they would, uh, be filled with your spirit, Lord, that, that your spirit would be in them, that, that he would permeate them, that he would soak up, uh, their hearts and, and lives, and I pray that, um, you would, uh, you would, uh, bring, bring a yield um, through this. And I pray that we would worship you with our minds and that we would know you more and become more and more like Jesus in this time. In Christ's name, amen. All right, I have been uh, in Big Sandy for uh, 11, almost 11 years. Uh, and uh, when I came, I, I did not know a doggone thing about farming. Uh, I still know almost nothing about farming. Uh, I, I remember one of the first... It was like the second or third month I was here, I went out with uh, Dwayne. I went and visited Dwayne at his house, and uh, we, we talked for a little bit, and he told me, well, you know, we went out to look at the farm, and we were, we were talking and driving, and I was supposed to go on a date with my wife, and he said, well, we'll just drive to the edge of the property and back, like just to the end of the farm, and we'll come back, and that'll be it. And I thought, well, that should be fine. Uh, give me plenty of time. Uh, and as it turns out, like, that was... I must have been 40 miles. I have no idea what happened. We were just in that car forever. It just kept going and going and going. And and I, because I had no idea, right? Like we came from Indiana where like cornfields are, people will have like, you know, two fields and you could run around them, you know, if you're, if you're fit enough. It's like, it's not that big a deal, but man, y'all's farms are huge. Um, I, uh, I've learned a few things and this week. I had some interesting conversations and I got visuals to go with it. Um, we are kicking off seeding. Uh, y'all are kicking off seating. I'm doing this. Uh, and I, I know everybody's getting the air drills maintenance, right? You got to like deal with the hoses, make sure nothing's plugged. Is this vaguely accurate? I, how ignorant am I? Uh, and you get your seed and everything else and, and you're getting ready. And like as Callan has said on a couple of occasions to me, uh, they're not the ultimate optimist. They are the, uh, the consummate optimist. Farmers are the consummate optimists. It is, uh, it'll always be next year, right? Like next year will be the year that you're like Cub fans, you know, or <laughs> next year will be the year that we win. Uh, and, um, and, and it's, it's an interesting, uh, dynamic to me because, because there's something to that, like that optimism thing. I was reading about, uh, uh, initiatives to, uh, do farming, like teach farming in third world countries. And they found like they, they just tried to teach people to grow their own gardens, so it'd have their own food. And the problem they encountered was that these people who, like, had nothing, the idea of burying seeds was insane. They would just eat them. And they could not get some communities to get over the fact that they were burying seeds, but they would get more in return. They would just eat what they got. 
Um, and it, it's a lot like, but farmers, y'all are the optimists. Y'all are the ultimate optimists. And I, I spent some time this week talking to folks about the things that get in the way. And I, I wanted to touch on that real quick. Um, you bumped me ahead here. I, uh, like, like there's so many things that stop stuff from growing. Um, and like, actually my first top, what, what, what's not going to grow there? No, that's the, the tracks, right? Because, um, and I've talked to a few guys who will tell me that there are spots where the tracks, where the sprayers go, or where the tractor runs, like where it compacts the soil, and like on a really hot, dry, like hard-pressed year, especially if it rains a lot, and then gets real hot suddenly, like the ground becomes really compacted, and like the seeds won't even go in. Like, like, like before the era of precision air drills, and I don't even know what that means, um, the seeds would like hit and they wouldn't go in and you have these seeds on the top and actually can top right to y'all. What's wrong with this field? Uh, it's dead. Right? Like I actually, I Googled uh, uh, too much acid in the soil, right? If you have too much, too acidic of soil, like nothing will grow. It'll die right away. Um, I talked to a farmer who told me that they have geese that settle into their fields um, right as they're migrating, and they'll just work a field and just walk the field and eat everything. And they'll, like, clear-cut a field, just eat everything. Um, and, like, before it started to come up, like, y'all have seen them around. It's one of the reasons why we should not let Canadian geese or Canadians in general. I'm kidding. I like Canadians. I just... And then the last one, actually, that keeps seeding from happening uh, is the uh, is the dreaded CRP. There are some folks who who rather than go out and seed, they looked and they said, well, wait a minute, I can get paid to do nothing, right? I'm not offend, no offense against, I mean, there are a lot of people who put their farms right into CRP and they draw a paycheck that way. And actually my uncle, uh, when he retired from uh, his job, he moved to Kentucky and he got paid to not grow tobacco. Just made a fortune not growing tobacco. Um, crazy enough, you want to bump me ahead? Um, and once you get seed in the ground, there are things that can happen. If you've got too much clay in your soil, right, and it's hot, what happens to the clay? It bakes, and then it cracks because it contracts, right? And you end up with this really dead soil. Or if it's just a lot of clay in it, it's too dense, and the roots can't penetrate, and you get nothing out of it, right? Or um, if you're not doing your crop rotations right, right, like you won't get, like your soil's no good, and you won't get good root structure, you won't get a good plant, like it just won't live. And so if you rotate incorrectly, that happens. Um, if you, uh, this is uh, my, my uh, other picture. I don't remember why I put that up. Uh, honestly, I, I, uh, I had a reason. I'm going to skip right over it. Uh, my last one is actually the white. That blows me away. I always see it when I drive out southeast. Because you'll drive by and there'll be like a field and there'll be a layer of like sugar cookie out there. You know the, the, the you know what I'm talking about? Like those those really delicious brownie cookies that kind of crack on the top and they put sugar on top and they're like, good, but it's alkaline. And like, what grows in alkaline? Nothing, right? Nothing. And so some folks end up with this, like where they seed and they get these big patches of alkaline and like yet still optimistic, still do it every year, right? Am I saying anything really out in left field yet? I know y'all are laughing at me because I'm trying to, you know, it's like me trying to speak French. It'd be just as effective uh, some, some very popular topics here, uh, like as we, you know, another thing that prevents, uh, I think top left is that, what? It's cheek, cheek grass. Oh, bump me. Yeah. 
One more. Bump me ahead. There is cheatgrass. And then next to it, wild oats. I always thought sowing wild oats sounded good. Apparently, it keeps you from getting a crop. And you'll see it. But, like, actually, until I drove a swather, when I drove with Dwayne, he told me that they, he was telling me about soft flies and swathers. They, oh, we have to swath, and then we come back, and we wait for it to dry and all this. And I, I was sitting there thinking, what's a swather? What's a soft lie? And I had no idea what he was talking about. Not a, not a thing. But now I know that that's a soft lie, right? That is a soft lie. Soft lies are uh, annoying and destructive. And, like, there are years that some farmers around here had, like, you know, they'd look out at the field and everything was laying down and there was nothing, right? And there was a total loss because the soft lies destroyed it. And so you get it in the ground and either the wild oats or that or... The sawfly, or you can't see my bottom picture, it didn't work for some reason, but like grasshoppers. Yeah, well, and that's it too. Sometimes like, sometimes you don't know why stuff is dying. You don't know, but grasshoppers the last few years have been crazy and they, they're devouring. Um, I remember uh, watching a video, I think it was Mary Merrill, had, uh, where they dumped out, like they would, uh, they would cut and then they would dump to get, like because it was just all grasshoppers. There's all grasshoppers, and grasshoppers were clogging everything up, and they were just fighting just to cut because there's so many grasshoppers. Um, my my bottom middle, and these are my two favorites. Okay, I uh, I talked to one guy who told me sometimes you just get so busy that you accidentally plant spring wheat in the winter. Nobody admits they do it, so it's everybody who's not here. But apparently, you can get so overwhelmed and so busy, you don't remember what's where, and you can accidentally plant the wrong seed. And spring wheat will not come up, apparently. Am I wrong? Won't come up if you plant it at the wrong time of year. Like, it just won't. It will not grow. It will not live. The other one, uh, I heard about Olympus, losing track of Olympus. Did we spray it or didn't we? And then... (laughs) What? Seriously, right? Like, any of y'all ever get so busy you can't remember where you sprayed what? Or I talked to uh, another farmer who is not here today, but uh, I'm not going to name him because that would be mean. Um, But he told me sometimes you uh, don't clean the uh, Roundup out thoroughly enough. Um, And you don't realize you didn't clean the Roundup out thoroughly enough. And what happens? Everything dies. And so, like, sometimes you get a beautiful crop and it dies because of the cheatgrass, the weeds, or the bugs, or the... The, you know, or the busyness, like, kills it all. Like, you just don't get anything because you're too busy to do everything. And there's a million things to worry about, right? Like, it was crazy. Every farmer I talked to about this gave me a new list of things that go wrong. And yet, every year, this will be the year, right? This will be the year the Cubs win. I mean, this will be the year we get the great harvest. And then sometimes you seed and you get everything perfect. You get the right rain. Right? You got the right, like, mixture of clay and, and soil. You've got the, out southeast, I, I learned about uh, glacial flour. Right? Like, you get, the, you get the perfect dirt. You get the perfect rain. You get the perfect everything. And the hail doesn't hit and everything else. And by the end of the season, you got tons and tons of grain piled up. Right? There are some years, like, and actually, I don't even, I don't even know what a bushel is. Right? Like, like, the only thing worse would be to tell it to me in metric which is absolute nonsense. Um, but, like, like people tell, oh, you know, 40, 60, 80. I remember one year it rained a whole lot when I first moved here, and I was hearing bushel numbers, and people were like, wow. And I'm like, what? <laughs> um, my last slide, please. Uh, whoever has ears, 
let them hear. Whoever has ears, let them hear. Um, the word um, hear in that is Shema. Uh, every day, the uh, Jews would wake up in the morning and they would, uh, the first prayer they would recite was the Shema. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God is one. You shall have no other gods beside him. Right? Or before him? It's before him. Um, the Shema. And it actually means hear and obey. Got it? Hear and obey. And it turns up twice in the text we're going to look at today. Hear and obey. Um, what kind of listener are you? As we dig into our text today, this is, uh, we're going back to Mark. Uh, and and we're gonna, I'm going to try and hook this into some of Easter as well. But like as we dive into Mark, like understand, we're going to talk about listening. Right? Because there are all kinds of different people who listen. Uh, if you've been married long enough, you, you, your hearing goes funny, right? I, I always joke that the moment I said I do, my, my ears shut off and I couldn't hear a thing. Went deaf as a post. Right? I haven't heard a thing she said in years. Um, but, like, how do you hear? How do you listen? Because as we dive into the text today, like, this is what Jesus is teaching. This is what he's talking about. And I split it because this is a parable we're going to be looking at. It, it, how many of y'all caught about halfway through, like, oh, this is that parable? You did? Like, two of you? Okay. <laughs> you know, bump me to the background here. Um, this is, again, from Mark. Uh, so, before this point in the text, Mark has, like, recorded Jesus' teaching a lot. Right, And then all of a sudden, he does this parable. There's a shift. He does this parable, and the disciples come to him, and they're like, why are you doing this parable thing? Why aren't you talking in plain speak now? And um, that's important, but like it's important in a way that we're going to examine in depth in next week because I didn't want to shortchange the parable. Okay, um, But I understand, telling things in parable um, form in the ancient world, like rabbis would do this to kind of put it on the listener to figure it out to put it on the listener, to figure it out, and apply it, okay? And like, like in this particular setting, it's a big deal because this crowd is, um, like in context, this, this particular parable, sorry, is right after, what do we have? The commissioning of the apostles. We have all of this opposition. So all of the, he's like getting some momentum, and he's beginning to establish stuff, and crowds are following him, and now we have opposition. And people are coming along, and they're like, you know, hey, you're casting out by demons, and oh, you're crazy. Oh, you're this. Oh, you're that. Oh, stop him. He's going to hurt himself. Like, all of this stuff. And Jesus, like, then goes out and teaches, and he teaches in parables, and everything's hidden. And so he goes from, like, people are opposed to me to, like, this parable hidden, like, veiled. And then the other half of it is... How are you listening to what we're talking about? How are you listening to what I'm teaching you? Um, and I'll explain why that matters. The parable of the sower is very famous. Uh, the main theme, again, is hearing in hearts. Like we can think of it a lot of different ways, but how we hear, where our heart is, how we receive information is a big chunk of this. And, and it's easy to assume you got this nailed down, but it's not as easy to be sure you do. Um, on structure, I love structure, and I love that Mark uses structure well. We know this, right? Like it is, a sower went out to sow, a farmer went out to sow, and as he sowed, he some landed on the path, right? Like or on the highway, and uh, stuff happens, and then some hand landed in the rocks, and then some landed in the um, in the weeds, in the thorns. That's three, and then you have a good one, 
And like at the end of that good one, there are three things said about the good one. And so this is actually in a structure, and it's in a structure on purpose. But like pay attention to that as we go, and I'll explain the the value of it as we go. Uh, Next week, we'll dig into the larger message in terms of parables in the kingdom of God and like the larger story of Mark. But this week, we're just doing, just doing the parable. Um, So we start out, Jesus is in a boat. And he's teaching the crowds who are on the shore. Uh, like, what he's doing, basically, is he's sowing seeds into the crowd. That's it. Like, and there's kind of a cool thing here. If you jump me to my text. Um, again, he began to teach beside the sea. And a very large crowd gathered around him. So that he got into the boat and sat in it on the sea. And the whole crowd was beside the sea on the land. And he was teaching them many things in parables. And in his teaching, he said to them, so... Before we get to the, in his teaching, he said to them, he's teaching in parables. This is a much longer sermon. He didn't just get up and do the soils. Got it? <laughs> and he probably did the soils better than I did it, like, and better than the text represents it. It's a condensed thing. And it's a condensed thing because paper was expensive. Got it? Uh, and it would detract from the main point of the gospel. Um, but he is, so, like, think about this. You know, I like, kind of picture it. Um, the way that the Sea of Galilee is, you get this water and you've got hills that run up and then like all the way around you've got mountains. And so Jesus is sitting in this boat and he's got huge crowds of people. And I'm guessing, um, like if this was in the spring, uh, and I, well, anyway, I'm going to get into that. Um, like if this is in the spring, you could probably look around and see fields that have been planted and are beginning to come up. And, like, you could look around and see green. And so these guys are farmers and they're fishermen and they're all kinds of other stuff. And instead of speaking to them in religious talk, he speaks to them in their talk. He talks to them like this is the craziest parable because he never mentions heaven. He never mentions sin. He never mentions anything. He says, you know, farmer goes out to sow and he spreads seeds. That's it. And, like, the people who are there are hearing him and they're hearing him in their language and they're basically called to figure it out. So he's in this boat, and he's talking to people on land. He's spreading the seed. It's actually kind of a cool metaphor if you think about it, right? Like like they are on the ground, and he is not. He's the guy spreading. He's the guy seeding. Uh, There are some people who argue that the sower in the story is exclusively Jesus. Uh, I think it's an overreach personally, and if I get into it, I'll get into it next week, not this week. Um, The next big idea here is that the gospel is being preached. That's what the seeds are, right? Um, that is it. Like the gospel is being preached. That's what Jesus is doing. That is what um, the sowing of the seeds is. Uh, Mark 4, 3, listen, listen. Again, Shema, hear and obey. So he starts out with a very strong phrase. And for a listener in that setting, they would know this one, right? Shema, listen and obey. Behold, a sower went out to sow. And uh, I, I'm doing this in a little different. I'm going to give you the, uh, the second half, uh, the explanation as we go, because otherwise we're doing like a whole t- ton of slides. Um, the sower is the one who sows the word, right? So that means in this setting, I am, you know, the sower, right? I am uh, old McCarrick. I had a farm, E-I-E-I-O. And I, I share the gospel. I plant my seeds. And on my farm, hopefully, I have, a, I have corn. I have corny. I mean, I know y'all. So, seeing if everyone's awake. Thank you. Um, 
Next big idea. Some of the seeds never find their way into the soil. They never do. They're consumed before they get anywhere or they get crushed. Okay? I could do a whole sermon on this one. Whole sermon on this one. There's so much material in it. But oftentimes, for us, the gospel never makes its way into our hearts because we're hard-hearted, because we're angry, because we have presupposition, because our ears are closed. Any of y'all, um, how many of y'all have heard a sermon on the parable of the sower before? <laughs> how many of y'all know the story and know what it's about and know you already, like you could have put it in boxes before I started. The reason I tried to do this in our like in modern farming and did so badly, I suspect, um, is because the problem with knowing it, and I think the reason Jesus is doing a parable instead of talking to him about their hearts, is because everybody has heard it. And they've heard it a hundred times. Not even a hundred times, a thousand times, a million times. They have heard, all right, guys, let me talk to you about your hearts. Let me talk to you about your heart condition. If you've got sin or hard heart or anger or bitterness or whatever. Like, we all have heard it. You've heard it. And, like, the first thing you do is you tune it out. I watch my daughter do math homework in the morning, like, because she has trouble doing homework and getting it done. Um, She has trouble paying attention for long periods of time. I have no idea where that came from. Um, Probably my in-laws. But we'll get her up early to finish her homework sometimes, and she just freezes. She seizes up. There's nothing going in, right? And it's like trying to plant seeds into the side of a terracotta pot, right? Like, the clay is baked solid. She's mad, she's tired, she's cranky, she's whatever else, and there is no teaching her anything at that point. You have to break up that soil or it ain't going anywhere. And oftentimes for us, oftentimes for us, our hearts become this because we've heard it so many times, because we've heard it over and over again. Another thing that you find, uh, so jump to 4-4 here, Uh, I'll read it to you. As he sowed, some seed fell along the path, And the birds came and devoured it. And then his explanation in verse 15. And these are the ones along the path. There are where the word is sown. When they hear, Satan immediately comes and takes away the word that is sown in them. Um, We don't, y'all, I'm guessing nobody ever accidentally seeds the, 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 the dirt road next to the farm. Like, oh, <laughs> wasn't paying attention. I mean, like, it's a real, like, failure here. Um, there are two ways that they would spread seed in the ancient world. They would do it by hand. Or you would have two oxen, and you'd hang a bag between them, or a, or a, a wagon, and you'd put the bag of seed on the back of the wagon. you cut a hole in the bottom of it, and it would just trail out as you went. Okay? And so it's falling out wherever you go. It's like having a radial spray, a spreader for your yard. I've heard those exist. I don't do yard work. Um, but, like, he's spreading and spreading and spreading and spreading, and some of it lands in places where the birds come and eat it. In this case, like, it's, it's uh, you know, it gets washed away or it gets blown away because it's like mustard seed, and you're trying to plant it, and, you know, in the, the rows where the, the tires have come along and made the ground really hard and it ain't going in, or where it's dry and it's hard and you get no penetration and that's it. You know, like, like those seeds are, they're done. Or maybe something comes along and eats it, like the geese. Um, in our lives, um, this looks like I'm going to not, I'm going to not shema. I will not hear. I will not obey. I will tune out. I will put it in the box. I already know this one. I, this is a rerun. I've seen this episode. I don't need to watch it again. Oh, you know, he's talking about this. Oh, this is me. 
There are other reasons that this happens, though. There are those whose hearts have become hearts have become hardened because they are angry at God, or because they're bitter, or because they're broken inside over something, or because they're at odds with God and they're not going to change anything, or because of whatever reason, and their hearts have just become hard. Like men who, um, I mean, honestly, is a common thing in the church. I'm not saying any of y'all. I'm saying like it's a thing that you know is very common in American churches. Is men become like addicted to pornography and they hide it. And they hide it, and they hide it, and they hide it, and they hide it, and they hide it. And nobody knows. They don't tell anyone. Why? Because, like, that would destroy your life, and it would be humiliating and everything else. And so they hide it. And when they begin to hear those words, they, like, mm, you know, they shut down. Or sometimes we hear, and instead of hearing, we look around and we say, you know who really needs to hear this sermon? It's John Derga. I just picked on you because you're, like, better than me, and everybody knows I'm not talking about you that way, right? Like, like you know who really needs to hear this sermon? And we start looking around, and instead of allowing it to touch our hearts, Satan shows up and says, who really is awful that you can compare yourself to? Who can you put this on? And so instead of hearing a sermon and saying, oh, my gosh, where's my heart at? What's going on? We look around and we say, who, who can I judge? Who can I put this on? Who can I whatever? You know, all in Christian love, of course, and generally less Christian love and more judgment or whatever. But that is it. There are some of us who hear this message, who hear the word, who hear the preaching. Old, you know, old Mick Eric comes along and we shut down. It ain't coming in. Right? That's it. Nothing. Um, some of it fell on soil that kept the roots from taking hold. Like, and so there's no depth of heart. Uh, when it gets hard or the gospel doesn't make life easier, they just walk away. Um, there are a lot of things that this looks like, but I'll read you the text. Other seed fell on rocky soil where it did not have, or on rocky ground where it did not have much soil, and immediately it sprang up since it had no depth of soil. Um, and when the sun rose, it was scorched. Since it had no root, it withered away. We've never seen that happen here, right? Um, and these are the ones sown on the rocky ground, the ones who, when they hear the word, immediately receive it with joy, and they have no roots in them, but endure for a while. Then, when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately they fall away. Um, The idea here is, now watch this, Um, there are times, and I talk to people, say, well, you know what, I've been following Jesus for a while, and things have not gotten easier for me. It ain't paying off. Why would I keep putting money in the vending machine when, God, you know, I'm getting nothing back, right? Or they say, well, I, I don't go to church because of the people. They're all hypocrites. I'll tell you, I do not believe I'm a hypocrite because I admit I'm terrible, right? If you're here and you're not admitting that you need Christ and you need forgiveness, that you are in sin, that you are broken, that you are blind to your own sin half the time, and that you are in need of a Savior, if you are not in that spot, then like, yeah, that, that's a problem, and you need to like look at your soil and all that. But people say, well, I don't want to go to church because of these guys, because they're hypocrites. Well, yeah, but I don't worship people in church. I don't worship y'all. I worship Jesus. I'm here for Jesus, not y'all, Right? Actually, I'm spreading seed this morning, so I guess I'm technically here for y'all, but um, I'm more here for Jesus because this is what I've been told to do. Um, and so it is. Like, like, they'll look and say, oh, well, I don't like these people, so I won't go to church. Like, I'll walk away from my faith 
because of this. Or they'll say, well, this takes too much time. It's too hard. It's embarrassing. It's not popular. This runs against the culture. This is this. Like all of these things that are hard. You say, well, forget it. I want to do it. And there are a lot of people who are in church who are, are professing that they are in Christ, who there's no depth to it. And the moment they try to do more, they hide. Or they stop. Say, I don't feel like this. It's too difficult. I'm too frustrated. If you knew my kids, you'd know. Or if you knew my wife, you'd know. Or if you knew my spouse, you'd know. And there's nothing, like there's no depth. It doesn't change our lives. What does this look like in the real world? Well, what this looks like in the real world is we become new people. Like if my faith is only surface level, I got nothing. If I'm not a believer in heart and it shows out through my life, from the inside out, if it is an outside-in thing, if I'm a whitewashed tomb, then, then this is it. There's no, there's no rocks. There's no uh, roots. Sorry, there's nothing but rocks. I'm plenty of rocks in my head, apparently. Uh, you wanna... some, seeds, some seeds get choked out by weeds, right? Like this is the busyness in our lives. Nobody's busy. Everybody has plenty of free time. Shh, quiet. Oh, hey... Titus, you caught it. Good job. Oh, here comes away. So the next one, and my wife will bump the slide here. Um, busyness in life, like work. Oh, I got to work so much. Oh, I got to work so much. I got so much work to do. I don't have time to do anything else. Some of us have hidden sin that we want to keep alive or sin that's public and we really enjoy it and we don't want to stop or whatever. Like some of us live in a place where we feel guilty and we try to earn our way to heaven and we're like, oh, I have to do this stuff because I feel guilt and ashamed. And so I can't stop. I have to do more. I have to do more. I have to do more. And like it chokes out real faith because then it becomes just a treadmill, a death march, right? Is this out in left field? Anybody ever experienced this? You just feel guilty all the time and there's no freedom in Christ. It's just a new set of chains. Like it's not the way we're meant to live. It's not the way we were designed to live out our faith. And all of these things, things, the guilt we have, the too much busyness, the work, the work, the work, all of it begins to choke out our faith. And we say, well, I don't have time for Jesus right now. I got this. I don't have time to know Christ. I don't have time to have a relationship there because I got plenty of relationships I can't keep up with now. Why would I do that? It's just going to make me feel worse. Uh, Mark 4, 7, other seeds fell amongst thorns and thorns grew up and choked it out. And it yielded no grain. Uh, And others are the ones sown amongst thorns. They are those who hear the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desires for other things enter in and choke the word. And it proves unfruitful. I, uh, I, I think about actually studying this text. I thought about it every morning. I'm trying to try to pray for a chunk of time when I wake up in the morning. And it is really hard to sit in bed early in the morning, and pray. It's really easy to scroll Facebook, right? It's really easy to grab a book and read. It is really easy to find anything to do that is not sitting and trying to talk to God and getting annoyed with myself because my mind is wandering or whatever because I just want to sleep a little longer or whatever. Like, there's so many thorns in my life. There's so many areas where busyness gets in the way. A lot of pastors struggle with this, actually. A lot of pastors become so busy they have no relationship with Christ. So busy they don't have time to pray. The average, I've said this a million times, to say it again, um, the average pastor in America prays about 
three minutes a week. Guess when that happens? Sunday morning. Why? Because there's so much stuff to do. There's so many things to fix and research and run around and take care of um, that in the end, the relationship, the intimacy with Christ, it's gone. It dissolves. For us, it's getting the kids to every sporting event they could possibly want, working really hard so your kids can have a better life, right, and never worry about anything. It's working really hard so that you can hide from the difficult things in your life, right? Ah, it's many men hide at work, right? My wife can't yell at me there. I don't feel depressed when I'm working. I don't feel sad when I'm working. I don't this, I don't that. And then wealth and the concerns and everything else chokes it out. Um, There's a really unsettling uh, survey that was released. The results were released this week where they, or last week, it was last week, um, where they talked about how uh, the things that American value, like Americans value over the last 20 years, have like shifted dramatically, like involvement in the community, connection to neighbors, uh, participation in faith, like life, uh, et cetera, like family, everything has like dropped like 20% across the board. The only thing that has gone up, only thing, anybody know? The desire to make more money. Golly. But that's it. It's our busyness, right? Busyness in our culture is a virtue. Somebody says, how are you doing? And you don't say busy. Do you feel a little weird? Because we have that virtue. Oh, I'm busy. I'm good. Nope. You're busy. A lot of times you've got too many weeds in your yard and you've got to pull some of them. Because anything that gets in the way between you and Christ is a problem. We'll come back to that. Some took root and produced an insane harvest. Originally, I had planned on saying 40, 60, or even 80 bushels an acre, but I forgot to say it. And I also eliminated it because it's not accurate to the text. Um, The text says, uh, let's see, and other seeds fell into good soil and produced grain, growing up and increasing and yielding 30-fold and 60-fold and 100-fold uh, for the interpretation from Jesus. But those, who were so, or those that were sown on good soil are those who hear the word and accept it and bear fruit, 30-fold and 60-fold and, and 100-fold. The average crop at that time produced 5 or 10-fold, period. Okay, so like... Like, Jesus either is a guy who doesn't know what a bushel is, like me, right? And actually, I, I was like, well, wait, I was talking to one guy, and he's like, well, wait a minute, does eight, is 80 bushels an acre possible? He's like, well, sometimes you have potholes, and I was like, you grow that small of a, in the yard, or in the road, like that's, so maybe some of the seeds that land in the road, like, but potholes are just deep spots in the field where the water collects, I guess. Is this, I, I was really worried somebody would feed me a bunch of nonsense just to mess with me. And so there's a part of me that's wondering. (laughs) So to put this to scale, though, 40 bushels an acre is pretty good, right? Is that about right? I don't know. I have no idea. I still don't know what a bushel is. Um, This would be uh, 200 or 400 or 800 bushels an acre. Can you imagine? You'd break your equipment. Couldn't even collect it. You have enough grain bins to do that, right? Why does he, I mean, like, Jesus is so over the top and ridiculous. Why does he say that? He says it because 
the first three are all about waste. And it's really easy to look and stop being an optimist. To look and say, yeah, some of it's not going to get in the ground. Some of it, it's going to be too hot and there's too much clay and it'll bake and it won't grow. There'll be no sea, you know, no roots. And some of it will get eaten by birds and it'll hail. And everything's going to be awful. Not that farmers would ever complain or talk like that. Um, but you get to the end, having said all of that stuff, and you say, well, why would you do it? It's because, well, because I get a whole lot comparatively. And that's what is actually happening. When the gospel is preached, when the gospel finds its way into the hearts of anyone, it comes back times a thousand. There's never waste in it. Never. The sad part is sometimes people hear the gospel, the seeds are planted, and like it ends up being to their judgment, which is bad. You know, that's that whole like the word never comes back empty. That's a really terrifying concept if you think about it because that means at some places where it doesn't yield anything, it's yielding judgment. Like, but what's coming back ultimately is more and more and more to the point of ridiculous. And that's part of what Jesus is saying here. He's saying, listen, bears fruit to this level. Bear fruit is important. You hear me when I say this. How do I know I have good soil? How do I know I am in Christ? How do I know that I am following Jesus properly, like that it is real? Um, because this is a is it real sermon, right? Like, are you hearing it? Is it like bouncing off you? Is it dying on the vine? Is it whatever? Like, are geese showing up in your life and eating it? I, you know, like your kids or whatever. I, um, bearing fruit is what happens in us when we have like salvation. We bear fruit in keeping with salvation. The, the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, and self-control. Again, such things there is no law. Um, like that kind of thing, you change and you become increasingly Christ-like. The crazy thing about that I've discovered is the more I become like Jesus, um, the more I realize how little I'm like Jesus. Right? Um, so application, what do we do with this? Like, first off, you've heard it. You've heard it, you've heard it, you've heard it. How often do you listen and then, like, turn that camera on your heart, turn the spotlight on your heart and say, like, what's going on in me? Am I hearing? Because that's what Jesus is telling these guys. Like, all these guys won't listen. He's got the Pharisees that won't listen. He's got his family that won't listen. He's got these people that won't listen. He's surrounded by people that will not listen to him. And so he turns around and he tells the story. And the, the ultimate point is, are you listening? Are you hearing the gospel and saying, yeah, I'll do it a little bit, but not very much? Are you saying, yeah, that's too much? Are you saying, well, I do not like that. I will not listen. What is it? Like, what's going on with you? Like, we begin by examining our hearts. Look at your heart. Do you still hate people? Do you say nasty things to people who are in your orbit? This is really convicting for me because I was short-tempered for like the last two weeks. And I was trying really hard to not be short-tempered. And I wasn't working. And then I started like, like trying to pray about it. And then weirdly enough, it became less short-tempered. I don't even know how that works. Um, but we have to examine our hearts and our lives. And if you look at yourself and you say, I am perfect, I am fine, ask your spouse. Nobody knows you better. I don't know you all better. Thank you, Titus. Um, it's really easy to tune out. And if you find yourself tuning out, like, figure out what's going on. What are you tuning out in favor of? I tune out in favor of, like, like shiny objects. I love me some distraction, right? I tune out all the time. I love new toys. Tune out all the time. 
Um, I love, there are lots of things I love, and I tune out for those things. Um, I have to look at my life. I have to fill in the blanks of what's missing. I have to figure out what I need to find, what is broken, what is, you know, what is off, what kind of soil I have, and I have to deal with it. And then finally, like, or the fill in the blanks, actually, I, sorry, I should have notes for myself. Um, filling in the blanks is like when you begin hearing Eric say, oh, well, we're going to talk about the parable of the soil today, and you're like, oh, yeah, birds and thorns and rocks, and, um, man, are the Cubs going to win next year? Like, we hear it and we don't search. We don't listen. We don't open our ears and wait for the Spirit to pierce us. Um, I have preached this text quite a few times. I actually didn't research it this time. I was like, man, I know too much about this. I'm not doing it. I'm not going to find some clever new thing to catch everybody's attention. I'm not going to this. I'm not going to that. I'm going to pray about this text and I'm going to talk about farming. That's it. And I read some sermons that other people wrote, like Charles Spurgeon, who's a better preacher than I am. If you go to his church, I recommend it, but he's dead. So, stuck with me. Um, But we tune out. Like, it's easy to do that. And for pastors, it's easy to let me be clever and original and entertaining and give you something unique and, you know, whatever. So that, like, it's just an entertainment thing and not a look at your heart and say what's going on. And then, like, finally, think about other folks' sin, right? Like, it's easier to think about your wife's sin than yours. It is. You know why my sin is so bad? It's because of her. I wouldn't be short-tempered if my kids were awesome. Got that, children? It's your fault I sin. You know what that is? That is really hard-heartedness on my part, where the seed hits and it bounces right off, right? Because it's everybody's fault but mine. I can't see my own sin. Um, I was a joke, Titus. Uh, so what else in application here? Uh, what kind of soil is your heart? Like, so for the first thing you need to ask is like, like what kind of soil is in you? What kind of thing is there? Are you shallow? Are you too busy? Are you like following Jesus out of guilt instead of out of relationship? And I'm not trying to guilt you into changing that. I'm saying like, let it go and just listen to Jesus. Let it go and just talk to him. Let it go and don't feel guilty because you haven't done enough because you ain't going to earn your way to heaven anyway. I'm not going to start singing. You are a bad person for doing that. (laughs) Or you have a two-year-old daughter and a two-year-old husband sitting there who started singing. Um, But seriously, right? Like, Like, where are you at? Are you too busy for, like, new life? Have you been doing this so long that you're paralyzed and hard-hearted and you got nothing? Are you still mad at somebody you haven't seen in years? That was one of the worst things I discovered for my spiritual life. Like, like I had this when I was uh, uh, drinking still. I realized that most of what killed me spiritually was my bitterness and resentment toward everybody around me. When in reality it was my own sin, but my heart got hard because I just hated people. Like some people I hadn't even seen in years. Didn't matter. Despised them. Right? Like, where's your heart at? What's the soil that's there? Like, like identify, dig, search, look. Um, there's a, uh, a thing when I did the master gardener class. I took a whole gardening class, and I still can't grow plants. Like, I, got, I was gifted this, this, like, weird vine inward plant, and I was told it was impossible to kill. And it took me, like, four months to finally plant it, and it didn't die. Like, it was just in a little cup of water, and it just kept living. It was unreal. When I finally planted it, I killed it. I was told it was impossible, and I still killed it. And I wanted to go ask for another one, but I'm kind of embarrassed. I don't want to because I don't want to admit that I killed it. And I took a class on it. 
but like as part of this master gardener class, they had this thing where they gave you like a some some like a mixture of stuff you could get like from household objects, and you put your yard dirt in it, and you mix it up like really thoroughly, and you put it out, and you come back, and you can identify the percentage of clay, sand, and whatever that other one was. Silk, silt. That's it. Uh, and you could figure out what you have. Like look at your heart and examine. Dig, pray. Ask God to reveal your heart. God, what does my heart look like? Pray. The Spirit will tell you. Most of us don't hear the Spirit anymore because we ignored Him long enough. We don't hear Him, right? I feel guilty that I look at these websites. I feel guilty that I do this. I feel guilty that I do that. I don't even feel guilty anymore. You know why? Because you didn't listen when you did feel guilty. And now the Holy Spirit stopped talking. It's a bad place to be. But if you pray, I remember when I was doing recovery and I started praying, God, show me sins that I committed. And one came up and it was against somebody I hadn't seen in years and I didn't really know who they were. And I was like, yeah, God, I can't fix that. Leave me alone. I'm not doing that. And every time I prayed, this stupid thing came up until I drove to another area, went door to door looking for the person that I had wronged so I could repent and apologize. It was crazy. And actually, it's a cool story. Ask me later. I can't fit it in now. But like ultimately, if you pray, God will shine a light on your sin and he'll help you repent and you'll draw close to him. And it's amazing for those of us who discover there are things wrong. Like I'm hard hearted. I, I, like, I have rocks in my heart, and I can't develop depth. I'm too busy, and I can't stop being busy. I do stuff out of obligation and guilt and all this other nonsense. There are ways for us to fix that. Those who are truly hard-hearted, here's the trick. The worst way to get over that is when God brings out the disc. You know what I'm talking about? The disc. What do you use the disc for? To break ground, Right? There are those. I, there was a guy I prayed for at work years ago. It was like 15, 18 years, 15 years ago maybe. He was giving me a lot of difficulty, and I was very angry and resentful. And I had a guy tell me, well, you need to start praying for him. I started praying for him, and his life went to pot. It just got worse. The longer I prayed for that guy, the worse his life got. Like, just unreal. One of his closest friends was killed, and his wife left him, and he lost his job, and he like, just got worse and worse and worse. And I was like, man, this is over the course of years. I'm like, maybe we should stop praying for him. His life wasn't bad before I started. And then one day I heard through a friend that he had found Christ, and his life had changed. Praying, God brought out the disc and broke the ground. Breaking ground is painful. For those of us who are in that spot, like when I had my, my ground broken and I started to quit alcoholism, I had to go and confess to people and I had to repent and I had to fix stuff that I'd done wrong. I had to say things that were, were shameful to, to people and say, look, I did this and I'm sorry. I, I did this and I need to make it right. But like I found Jesus in that. Breaking up soil is hard and it's painful and God will do it to you. Uh, sometimes it's done. By the way, really hard, hard, hard clay soil. What is the most natural way to have it dissolve? Rain, right? This is actually a Chuck Spurgeon one where Spurgeon says some people have hard hearts and their spouses are weeping and praying for them. And as they weep and pray for them, it softens the ground. If you're sitting next to somebody with a hard heart, Pray for them. Pray for them with your full heart. Don't be resentful. Don't say, I hate that guy. I cannot believe I have to live with him or live with her or whatever. Pray, 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 pray. Pour your heart out in it like, and it'll grow you, but you might soften the soil. In turn, if you realize you're hard-hearted, weep and pray. 
Again, that's what I did. I started. My wife was wept and prayed, and then I wept and prayed, and my heart changed because the Spirit did it. Um, watering dry ground can also help loosen stuff up. Like when we begin to come at it and say, like, I will fill my life with the Spirit. I will fill my life with worship. I will fill my life with these things, and I will pursue it. And it loosens ground. Um, organics, right? Like, I know this is a super controversial topic. I was actually told not to talk about it. Uh, but there are bacteria in the soil. Did you guys know that? Dirt is dirty. And <laughs> if you have no organics, if you have no loam, if you have no living particles, if you have no uh, uh, bacteria or anything else, your plants will not live or thrive. They won't. That's why you have to have fertilizer. That's why you listen to me talk to fertilize your life. Come on. Oh, yeah. <laughs> How do we surround ourselves? How do we fertilize? How do we fill our life with organics? Well, look around you. There are people in this room who know Jesus better than I do. There are people in this room who know your struggle with sin because they went through it. And if you talk to those people, if you incorporate them into your lives, if you surround yourself with people who know Christ, that organic mixture, the church, the body of Christ will grow into new life for you. But that was not a made-up thing. I know we fertilize, right? I know we add organics. I know there are companies that sell this stuff, but not everybody believes in it. Finally, finally, weeds. Uh, well, actually, let me back up here. All right, uh, shallow soil. You've got to pick the rocks out. That's it. What's keeping you from becoming a person of depth spiritually? Pick that rock out and get rid of it. Well, I'm angry at this person. I hate the church. Everybody's this. Everybody's that. I can't do this. I can't do that. I like being mean. I like being bitter. I like these things. It'll pull the rocks out and throw them away. How fun is picking rocks? Anybody, does anyone enjoy picking rocks? Abby's never done it. (laughs) Picking rock is hard. But it's part of becoming Christ-like. It's part of softening our hearts. It is how this happens. Weed and pests, you have to kill them. Yeah, but I have to be so involved in these 800 different sports for my kid. What are you teaching your kid to do other than not go to church? other than not have spiritual life, other than ignore their family? What are you teaching them to do? If I'm stepping on your feet, it's... I'm sorry, I didn't plan on saying any of that. It's just coming out of my mouth. And hopefully it breaks the ground. Is sports bad? No, sports are wonderful. They are. Hobbies are good. I have more hobbies than I can tell you about. Anything that gets in the way of me and Jesus is something that needs to get pulled or sprayed. That's it. Or shrunk, just at least shrunk. So are you good soil or are you assuming you are, is the last thing. A lot of times we look and say, I have good soil, I yield. Do you? That's the real question, do you? It's amazing how other people's sins look so huge and mine look so small. Right? My accomplishment and works look so big. My contribution as a loving and wonderful husband are so huge compared to my wife's tiny contributions. Everybody in the room knows she's a better wife than I am a husband. She does more than I do, but it always looks better for me. We assume that, don't we? I'm the good one. Ask the Spirit. 
If there's no one in your life close enough to you to tell you the truth, find people who will tell you the truth. Come talk to me. I'll, I'll talk with you. Come talk to Rebecca. She'll tell you the truth and you won't like it. But she'll do it in a really nice way. Talk to John. John is one of the best truth tellers I've ever met. So a little last application. What do you do now? First off, Shema, right? Hear and obey. If you have heard me, if you have heard the words that are coming out of my mouth and you have understood them and you have looked and you said, well, what is my soil? What is going on in my heart? What is going on inside me? Do something. Don't just hear it. Hear and obey. Shema. Hear and obey. It begins with prayer and submission to God. I I love pumpkin pie. Actually, I hate pumpkin pie. But I love pumpkin pie in one particular way. Pumpkin pie exists exclusively so that you can put a lot of whipped cream on it in a socially acceptable way. You can't eat whipped cream out of the tub at Thanksgiving. Everybody looks at you like you're the crazy uncle. Not based on a... Not based on a true story at all. But, like, you put more and more whipped cream on pumpkin pie, and then, like, it makes eating pumpkin pie not so bad. Right? Submission to God is not here or there or just in the middle. It's not on the edge. It's not on that piece. It's not on this piece. It's not on my work life. It's not on my family life. It's not on my Sunday morning life. The more you spread that submission, that belonging to Christ, they, you are in charge. Jesus, take the wheel. If you're driving and he's not, you've got a problem. And if you're listening to that song, it's even worse. Um, but we pray and we submit. Our hearts, everything. Like we go, we pray, we pursue. We say, God, you be in charge. You be in charge. You do it. Um, I love watching. I'm gonna, I don't pick on Josh very often. I'm going to. Josh is stubborn as I'll get out sometimes. And sometimes he'll start on something and he'll get frustrated and he won't stop. And you got to say, hey, stop. Let me show you. Stop. And he just fixates and he gets stuck. It's mine. I'm doing it. But in reality, submitting to Christ and letting him carry it. I feel guilty about everything in my spiritual life. Submit to Christ. Let him carry it. Don't feel guilty. Just check out like, of the busy runaround thing and check into spiritual life. Check into intimacy with Christ. Like That's it. That's it. Pray for those of you who... Pray for those around you that are, that are hard-hearted, that are stuck. Finally, confession and discipleship. There's nothing more effective, I've discovered, and it is awful, but confessing your sins to another human being. You know why? Because when we confess our sins to God, like, and we're not terrified, right? <laughs> like, if you're more scared of confessing sin to the guy next to you than you are to God, like, you are not confessing to God. That's it. It's like, if I were to go and cuss out a like a cardboard cutout of Mike Tyson. You know, if I'm, if I'm not afraid of it, it ain't real, right? Because Mike Tyson would knock my head off. For those of you who are young, Mike Tyson was a boxer, and he was crazy and, like, really scary. Um, the reality is most of the time we confess to ourselves. We don't confess to God. Um, confessing to other people has power. It has strength. It's commanded by Paul. And then discipleship. Walk with another believer who teaches you how to grow, Right? I don't grow tomatoes. I kill them. But my understanding is when you grow tomatoes, you have to have structure so the tomatoes can grow, right? Like if you just leave them, they don't grow. You have to have those weird wire things that are awful. I'm not making this up, am I? This is like a real thing. Yes, tomato cages. 
Discipleship is the tomato cage, right? It is the thing that gives you support and strength and helps you grow right. In our lives, following Christ, discipleship is that. If you've got nobody helping you grow spiritually, nobody looking at your situation and offering feedback and hearing your prayers and praying with you and challenging your thinking and everything else, like, that is a huge step. Find someone to make you grow, to help you grow. Again, a ton of people in this room who could help you. Come talk to me. I'll plug you in somewhere. I'm going to close in prayer. I know I'm long. Um, I don't care. Heavenly Father, I pray... I'm a bad gardener, Lord. I pray that I would be a good sower. I pray that your spirit would water hard hearts and and hard ground. That the resurrection we celebrated last week, you know, that that leads to new life. That we would see resurrection and new life in the hearts and lives of people who are here. Help us to continue to grow. Help us to pick the rocks out of our lives. Help us to pull the weeds and, and anything that gets in the way of us knowing Jesus more intimately. Over and over again, Lord, I pray that you would just water, 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 water our hearts. I was told by a farmer that all you need is a seed and water and it'll grow. Lord God, just make something grow. In Christ's name, amen. Have a good Sunday.